She cradled his head against her chest, lovingly and dutifully cleaning his mouth, wiping his face, and closing his eyes. She dressed him in clean clothes and brushed his hair into place. She and the other women with her hoisted his lifeless body onto their shoulders, carrying him to the place where he would be laid to rest. When they arrived at the grave, they tenderly composed his limbs into an almost sleepful pose. Then, giving his body one last embrace, they placed it into the earth, giving him back to his creator. Dionysius of Alexandria records in his letters moments just like that, the selfless acts of Christians from the third century who cared for the sick and dying. On the heels of a war and a famine, before anyone had a chance to recover, a plague descended upon the people of the Mediterranean, a calamity more dreadful to them than any dread, he wrote, and more afflictive than any affliction. Dionysius described how most people repelled those who began to be sick, avoiding even their dearest friends, casting them out into the roads half dead or throwing them out wind dead without a proper burial, shunning any communication and participation in death. But those who called themselves Christians They embraced those who suffered, despite knowing that their proximity to the sick meant that ere long they themselves would share in receiving the same offices. Throughout the centuries, Christians have been willing to embrace death because of their faith in Jesus Christ. The way that Jesus' followers risked their lives to care for others was one of the principal reasons that Christianity began to spread throughout the Roman Empire. 1,600 years later, it was Christians like Constance and her companions who cared for those who were too poor to flee Memphis when the yellow fever epidemic settled into the low-lying areas, even though they knew that caring for them would mean their own death. During our own lifetime, while many church leaders used their voice to condemn gay men and intravenous drug users, it was faithful Christians who cared for those who were dying of AIDS back when nobody understood how the virus was spread. Today, like those saints of God, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ and in it, God's great victory over sin and death But we also know the ravages of sickness and death, of evil and sin that still hold sway in this world. And that can make the good news of Easter feel a little confusing. For many of us, this is our first time back in church in over two years. And some of the people we most want to see and hug aren't with us anymore. Some of us have endured the pain and grief of divorce during that time. Some of us have lost our jobs. Many of us have lost our sense of belonging. A lot has happened in those two years. And it's not fair to show up in church and pretend 
that none of that matters. It all matters. It matters to us and it matters to God. And we aren't alone in needing some help understanding what Jesus' resurrection means to us in a moment like this. Early in the morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb because sometimes when we are overwhelmed with grief, we don't know where else to go. But when she arrived, she saw that the stone had been rolled away. So she ran and found Peter and the other disciples and told them that someone must have come and stolen the body of Jesus. That's the only way she could interpret the stone being away. When the disciples got to the tomb, they found it just as Mary Magdalene had described it. And when they looked inside, they saw those linen wrappings and the face cloth that had covered Jesus' body left behind. And they went away, back to their homes, confident perhaps that something significant had happened, but still unable to make sense of what it all meant. Now bereft not only of her friend and teacher, but also the chance to be near his body and weep, Mary Magdalene returned to the tomb. There, angels appeared to her, but she could not see beyond her tears. Jesus himself came and stood next to her, but she could only imagine him to be the gardener. Only when he spoke her name, Mary, did she encounter the risen Christ. Only then was she able to begin to put the pieces together and start to understand what it is that God had done. So she ran quickly, the first apostle to carry the good news of Easter and found the disciples and announced that she had seen the Lord. But as we will hear again next week in the gospel lesson, the disciples still didn't know how to make sense of those words because the process of learning to believe that God has defeated death takes time. Faith takes time. This sometimes slow but always deepening work of faith has been the pursuit of Christians in every generation since. As followers of Jesus, we spend our lives learning how to believe with all our hearts that in the resurrection, God has already won the great victory over death, even though that victory does not make us immune to its painful consequences in this life. With every painful diagnosis, every fractured relationship, every loved one lost, we renew our struggle to understand the power of Easter in our lives. But thanks be to God, we are not alone in that struggle. In very much the same way, Paul wrote a letter to the Corinthian church to a people who were struggling to make sense of how, if Christ had been raised from the dead, how could his followers still be dying? All will be made alive in Christ, Paul wrote. But each in their own order, Christ the firstfruits, and then it is coming those who belong to Christ. Only then comes the end, for Christ must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Like those early Christians, we wait and watch 
and hope and yearn for that day when Christ will come and defeat our last great enemy, the one that still plagues us. And yet, because on this day the stone is rolled away and because we see that the tomb is empty, we know in the end that death cannot win. In the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God has already delivered to our great enemy a fatal blow. But we who belong to Christ must now endure the final and furious throes of that mortally wounded beast. And thankfully, we do not endure them alone. I was moved this week by what Tim Keller, the conservative Presbyterian minister who is battling stage four pancreatic cancer, said in the New York Times about what his illness has taught him about Easter. Shortly after his diagnosis, Keller realized that his faith would need to become something more than a mental abstraction. I came to realize that the experiential side of my faith really needed to strengthen or I wasn't going to be able to handle this, he said. It's one thing to believe that God loves you, but another thing to actually feel his love. It's one thing to believe he's present with you. It's another thing to actually experience his presence. Because of Easter, we experience the presence of God even in our darkest moments. As Keller put it, if the resurrection of Jesus Christ really happened, then ultimately God is going to put everything right. Suffering is going to go away. Evil is going to go away. Death is going to go away. Aging is going to go away. Pancreatic cancer is going to go away. I do think that the great thing about cancer, he said, is that Easter does mean a whole lot more because I look at Easter and say, because of this, I can face anything. In the past, I thought of Easter as a kind of optimistic, upbeat way of thinking about life, and now I see that Easter is a universal solvent. It can eat through any fear, any anger, any despair. I see it as more powerful than ever before. Because of Easter, we can face anything. Because of Easter, we know that God is with us in our ups and in our downs, in our best moments as well as our worst. And we know that not only in our minds, but in our hearts and in our guts and in all the lived, embodied experiences of life. As Christians, we are a people who strive toward a reality that we already know is true, even though we cannot see it yet. That is our journey of faith. And that journey, which begins here at Easter and which we share with all Christians throughout the centuries, is how we hold on to hope even in the midst of loss. For us, the power of Easter is neither locked away in the past nor hidden away in the future. We carry it with us every day. It is our hope. Thanks be to God. Amen. <clears throat>